Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. back to foster care and unparalleled journey with jason and amanda today's guest is janine porter janine is the executive director of georgia hope incorporated and janine and i talked just a few minutes here ahead of recording and she tells me that right now they're really focusing on something that is close to a lot of hearts janine is talking to people about getting more foster parents in the system especially foster parents of teens Janine, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Foster parents for teens, like you got some ambition there because that's a place that we all struggle finding that, right? Yes, we do. Yes. Because you guys are located there in Georgia, right? Yes, we're located in Conyers, Georgia. We've um, we've been here for a couple of years now. And we service all age groups, but our focus now is the teens because they're the hardest to place. Absolutely. And I mean, people who've heard us know our story, right? We've got, we've had kids for two decades now, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> so we've seen teens before and teens are challenged, right? I mean, everybody knows teens bring their own set of challenges. Although yes. I've seen some people who think that toddlers are challenges and I'm, <laughs> I wonder if they've ever had teens at that point because I love toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just because you like to play. Yeah. Yeah. At heart, I'm a toddler. We know this, <laughs> but teens can be a big challenge. And we see that in our, in our world over here, you guys are down there in Georgia. We're up here in Missouri and I talk to people all over the nation and everywhere I talk to people have a challenge or organizations have big challenges, not only getting foster parents, but getting foster parents who are willing to take teens in has, I assume that's been the the thing that you've seen going on there as well. Yes, that's um, been the challenge. A lot of parents want the younger children, you know, the ones that have um, less challenges, or at least they believe they have less challenges, but as time has gone on, even the younger children have more challenges than they've ever had in the past, but that's coupled or, you know, doubled on top of the teenagers. And they've been in the system a lot of times for many years. So they know the system and they feel there are different ways in which they can, um, you know, get around this system in addition to the challenges that I already have, which makes it that much harder to work with them. Oh yeah. Teens get smart, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew I learned that lesson as a teenager myself. I had to either get smart or sneaky. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say I got smart. <laughs> My mom may be listening at some point. We don't tell no stories on ourselves, right? <laughs> <laughs> so now you have children of your own, you said. Yes, I have. I have um, five children total. I have three biological children and two children I've adopted um, through foster care. I had their mom originally, and then I eventually adopted them. Oh, wow. So you had their mom as a foster child and then adopted her children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now that brings out yeah. some questions, you know, like <laughs> you have a connection with their, with their bio mom. 
Um, not anymore. We, we've had for years until she was probably about 24, um, 25, but it got a, just a little bit more challenging um, with the connection that we've had and the connection with the children. So we had to, you know, sever ties there. Um, we still know where she is and where she's located, but the connection just turned out to be more challenging than um, we were able to handle with the children being so young. So we had to um, sever ties there. And they'll just, you know, they're, they're, they've had her there in our lives um, up until they were about, they're 10 and 12 now, so probably till about since they were nine and seven. And then that's when we started having more difficult challenges. But so they've always known her as mom and I'm grandma. <laughs> so, um, you know, and they know of her. They We still have, you know, family photos and memories of her that we share and talk about, but she's just not physically here with us. Wow. How long ago was she with you as a, as a foster kid? Um, I had her um, since she was 15, pregnant at 15 with the first child. And she stayed with me um, until she was about 23. She went went to college and um, she came back home, you know, she had several of her own personal challenges, had a couple additional children. But then um, as time went on, it was just it just became hard for her to deal with the fact that her children were adopted, um, you know, through defects. And, you know, she just was just hard for her to deal with those that that fact of life. Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet. I bet that's one of the things we talk about is, is that connection with bio parents. And, and then as a foster parent, I'm just going to say, it sounds like you have done an amazing job for a long time with this and that's trying to support bio parents. Right. Right. You know, because you want to keep them in their, um, in the children's lives, but when it gets to be, you know, a problem where, you know, it's going to affect the children, then you have to make some decisions. Um, some of the other teen moms that I fostered, I still have contact with them. Um, you know, they call me from time to time. We still have a relationship, but just not all of them work out for the best in every situation. So in addition to having a foster care agency, I fostered for over 10 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Are you currently still fostering? I'm not currently still fostering, but I do have guardianship of two additional children. <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> so that makes a total of seven. <laughs> so now the crazy comes out, right? Uh, yes, oh, yes. But luckily, my oldest two are 19 and 21. So that helps. <laughs> yes. They can do a few mm -hmm. things for themselves. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So what, what really drew you into to working with teenagers? And trying to trying to really focus on that part of foster care. Um, I wanted the age group that I could, you know, make a difference, can kind of steer them in the right direction to, you know, grow, be successful. And I knew that was the age that I can, you know, work with them, talk to them, get them to, you know, actually use some of the skills that I'm trying to teach them and some of the um, lessons that I have for them to learn to try to actually to get them to put it into action. So that's the age group I started out with um, was the teen moms. And, you know, I, love, I have a love for children. So I wanted to work with them in parenting their own children, providing them the love, the coaching, and the ability to be productive parents. Absolutely. I mean, well, now, where, where did fostering come from in your own journey? Is that something that you had a connection with as a kid? Um, <laughs> I always, um, make sing stale a story when all the children were playing, um, 
house, I was playing orphanage (laughs) (laughs) in the backyard. And I used to watch feed the children. And then my, my own mother, we, um, we had, she adopted my middle sister. So it kind of was, there was in, in my life as I was growing up, um, my oldest sister, she wound up fostering teens. So it kind of was there all along. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like it was <laughs> deep in your family there. That's right. That, right. In your genes. Yes. My mom says, um, I'm the one that, you know, took it to the, <laughs> to the furthest. Why? Cause I've been fostering the longest and had the most children. So she said, I took it the furthest. <laughs> and maybe that part about you have your own foster care agency over that, that might have something to do with it too. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what made so, you yes. want to create your own foster care? Now, do you, do you actually, do you work through DFS to place kids in other places? Yes. Um, we have a contract with the state and they send us referrals. We train and certify our own foster parents. And once we get, you know, referrals that match a home, we'll present that to the home for them to accept the child into their home. And then we monitor the home throughout the, throughout the time the children are in the home. Oh, wow. Yeah, now mm-hmm. I, I know that we have um, a couple agencies in Missouri that I think do something like that. Similar, yeah. And I know that most of the cases that, that the, the handful of people I know who've worked with those those groups tend to talk like they get some of the more challenging cases to, to work through over there. Do they tend to send yeah. more challenging cases to you guys? We, we get, a, um, we get, we get well, across the spectrum. Some, some of the children are easier to work with. And some of the children have more challenging behaviors. So it could be just the parents, you know, no, nothing is ever easy, but it could be just the parents are needing a place to stay and are homeless to physical abuse and trauma and neglect. So it runs the gamut. So here's one of the things I love to ask people who have as much experience as you do, because I know, I know the story that I can tell when somebody asks this. What's one of the stories that has really impacted you that you've seen where you've you've been able to personally be involved in something that you could you've really helped a child really turn their life around made a difference that that well for me right here I got a couple of kids tattooed right there there's a third mm-hmm. one right like there's a reason for that we've had we've had way more than three kids in our house those three mm-hmm. have made it onto the tattoo list, right? So, mm-hmm. so what's what's your kind of tattoo list story? You know, what what's been a really important, meaningful experience that you've you've seen? We've we've had a lot of stories, but one story in particular was a young lady who came into our, you know, a little girl came into our um, agency who was um, physically and mentally abused and neglected. She was tied up. Um, you know, by the parents in the home, um, when she came to us, she was emaciated. Um, but by the time she left, she was a bubbly young lady. She was um, engaged in activities. And she went home actually to a family member, um, of course, not the family that, you know, she was, you know, abused by. But she was just a totally different person when she left. Um, she was happy. She was able to, you know, talk, share, play with other children her age. And eventually she went home. She had a good foster parent that was working with her during during her time with us. She was with us for a couple of years. And um, it was just a happy story when it was time for her to go home to her family, people that she did know. The happy stories are always the greatest, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's not yeah. enough of them usually. What was it about mm-hmm. her case that really made you feel connected to her? Just the fact that, um, you know, in the beginning, she was just quiet and withdrawn. And then by the end, she was loving, hugging. She didn't let her, the situation that she came out of affect her, you know, her personality, her relating with two other people, that she realized that the world is not where she, you know, in the situation she was in, that everyone is not like that that there are people out there who care about her, who love her. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be your family. It could be your family, but there are other people out there that's willing to show you real love and caring and support. And how old was and she? She, when she, showed, came? she came to us at seven. She left, left us about nine and she was just, you know, a totally different person, happy. And we were surprised at the transition. Especially at that age. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because going to nine years old is pushing you close to that preteen stage that's doesn't always breed happy, happy young right. kids. I mean, I, I don't mm-hmm. know about you. Maybe that's just my kids. But the preteens uh, has, has been a, a challenge for us as they, they really step into that pre-adolescent space and start dealing with all the all the biological things that happen in life at that point. And, and a lot of right. times because our four youngest we adopted through the foster care system. So those. Okay. Those guys have all seen a ton of trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, that really has pushed our teenage years to a little bit more of a challenging place, would you say? Challenging, mm-hmm. stressful. <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> so Accommodation. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, that's mm-hmm. amazing that, that you were able to to find a place, be a place where she could feel safe enough mm-hmm. to be a kid who's happy and outgoing and just ready to go embrace the world instead of rejecting it. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash foster care nation. Now back to the show. Right. And it's always um, exciting when you can see some of the teenagers that you've had in your life and your care and in my, my home that are now doing well. Um, some of them with their own families, some just furthering their education. So we've, I've had a lot of young ladies that are now young adults who are going through life and, you know, being able to progress. How many kids do you think you've had in your house over the years? I've had at least, um, I used to keep track, but it's been at least 24 children. <laughs> wow. At least 24 children. You, mm-hmm. you sound like us. We, we say about 20. Because <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number. Right. I think I started counting at about 22. <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, how many years have you been, been in the game? Um, for probably about 12 years. 12 years actually being a foster parent. Okay. Wow. Makes me feel like a wimp because we've been at it for 12 years and we haven't even thought about creating an agency. <laughs> I don't have time for an agency, my dear. <laughs> and I do not have near enough time for that. I'm certain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what was it like creating? I mean, because you, you have a 501c3 organization, uh, mm-hmm. it's Georgia Hope Incorporated, right? Yes. Okay. So, and I assume you guys just work inside of the, the state of Georgia. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, if, if anybody's looking for somebody to talk to and they happen to live in Georgia, um, Janine might be your person, but right. Right. <laughs> but what, what inspired you to, to create an organization like that? I mean, I used to have a group home, um, for boys, um, you know, same, same idea, you know, serving the same type of children, also servicing children at, or were from DJJ department of juvenile justice. And it was a little bit more stressful. Um, and it, it was more, more or less, it was kind of just never ending in terms of the cycle of children coming in and out. And then I felt that I just wanted to streamline it to more of a nine to five where you have parents working on, on a, um, more personal level with the children as opposed to the group, you know, group of staff working with the children. So then I decided to go with the agency. So now we have parents, children are in families as opposed to in group homes and they're getting the individualized attention that they need. Now group homes are still needed because not all children, you know, thrive in the foster home, but I just like the idea of them um, us being able to service them th- throughout the day and then parents taking over into the evening with their families. Group home for boys. <laughs> I mean, I think I just, uh, I think I felt a little shudder there. I mean, cause I'm assuming <laughs> most of those probably have teen boys, right? Right, right. We started at age 13. Mm-hmm. All the way up to, you know, they can stay as long as 21, but basically 18. Mm-hmm. Wow, that what was that experience like? Because I've had a couple teenage boys, and they are not like calm. I mean, everybody says that they're <laughs> afraid of teenage girls. Let me tell you something. I have one teenage daughter at the moment, <laughs> and she has her moments. Right, my boys have been the biggest challenge of my life. Well, I I think the boys maybe from from a man perspective, um, the boys are, um, you know, I just I guess treat men and, and react to men a certain way. And then they react this different way to women because maybe they're looking at the motherly figure, the auntie, the grandmother. So I, I, we, we enjoy working with the boys. You know, we had a few challenges, but I think on the other hand of it, working with the girls, those girls are the challenges. A woman to the girls, that's the biggest challenge. The woman to the boys, I think is less of a challenge. We're able to talk them down and you know, maybe show them that motherly love. So I think it's just the dynamics of it. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe. Can I send you a couple boys? <laughs> I have a house full of boys. I have one girl right now. So I'm, I got enough testosterone around here. <laughs> That's our house too. We've got one girl and the rest are all boys. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's why there's such a struggle. There's just so many of them. They're trying to overtake us. Mm-hmm. Some days it feels like they might win. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what about those days that, that feels like, you know, you're going to lose? Because, I mean, you, you ain't, you're you not taking care of one kid here, right? you right, got a bunch right. of kids in your house, and you're dealing with, with a bunch of kids in foster care. And before you had a boy's home, so you had all that going on. What, how do you handle the days where you're just like, all right, I think it's time to give up. I'm just going to walk away, and I don't know when I'll stop walking, but I'm just going to walk for <laughs> A day or two. But what do you do for those days? A lot of people ask me, you know, how do you do it? You know, how do you get through? Um, One thing I say to them all, always, I always say this, I don't think about it. I just do. Because you know what you have to do. You know, I do my planning. I do my scheduling. We got schedules all up around the house of, you know, so they can know what's going on each and every day. 
and we plan out the summer, we plan out, plan our calendars. So we have that a lot of times around the home, but also I don't think too deeply on it. I know what we have to do. The children know what, what's expecting of the expected of them. And then we kind of just do it. We, um, we do a lot of outdoor activities and traveling and vacationing so we can get away, can get out. They can experience other things. Um, you know, they have just as much technology as they do out, outside equipment in terms of bikes and scooters and um, skateboards. So I think we just kind of keep, keep them busy as possible. Um, and there are consequences to your behavior. So it's a little bit of everything um, associated with it. And we talk a lot. We fuss a lot. <laughs> I get a lot of that <laughs> too. But, um, and ask a lot of questions. Tell me what's going on. Because, you know, one of us, <laughs> one of us is going to go here. <laughs> one of us going to go crazy. That's what it is. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's just a lot of combination of talking. And in order for me to not get overwhelmed, I know it's suspected of me. So I don't think about it that much. I just do. Do you have a lot of support to help you? Um, I do. I, you know, I have the older children are here, so they they do help out. Um, I have a network of friends. Um, I have some family that's here locally. Um, but we just, we keep busy. We keep busy. And, and when it's time to relax, we relax. So, and I, everyone knows their chores and we have pets, so they have responsibilities. So, (laughs) We just try to keep everybody active. Yeah, that, that seems to be something that's usually helpful when we can stay on top of it is keeping them active. Sports mm-hmm. has been a, a godsend for at least one of our kids, maybe mm-hmm. two. Yeah. And just it, it seems to help them so much to get out and just go burn that energy. There's there's something in those mm-hmm. in those teenage years where just finding a way to keep them active seems to help them out help them not do the stupid stuff that we may or may mm-hmm. not have done as teenagers ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you didn't, I didn't, but Amanda over here, she, <laughs> she probably was, was one of those kids. The black sheep. Mm-hmm. It's all good. <laughs> I'll take it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Again, my mom listens to this podcast sometimes, so I can't tell stories on myself. I'll be in trouble. <laughs> You're a little too old to be in that kind of trouble. <laughs> So, you know, you talk about this, this, you know, dealing with these kids. And I noticed when I, look, I did look at your website and, and one of the things it talks about on there a lot is mental health and mm-hmm. mental health, you know, with kids, with teenagers in today's world, especially when you're talking about kids in foster care, kids who've seen trauma, who've been through God knows what. I mean, some right. of the stories we've heard have been rough, real rough stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from domestic abuse and and physical violence to death and murder and drugs and drug exposure and, and all these different things. So how, how does, how do you work through the, the mental health challenges with some of these kids? Well, in terms of the agency coming through the agency, we, um, we used to actually start with every single child coming into the agency, eight, ages eight and above will go see, um, you know, go and go through therapy and psychiatrist, the psychiatrist, just to rule out any trauma because just coming into foster care, you know, alone is trauma. You know, you're leaving your family, friends, everything you ever known or you've ever known. Now we're starting at a younger age as young as six. And we let the therapist rule out um, needing these services because you need to talk to somebody about how you feel about 
leaving your family, leaving your pets, leaving your room, leaving your belongings. So we kind of started out there and then we let the therapists um, get involved in, you know, diagnosing or the, the psychiatrist diagnosing and, you know, administering medicine if necessary. Our caseworkers are all skilled um, in the social work field. They have their um, particular degrees. So they know how to, you know, recommend and refer the children to different services that they would need. And they meet with them, you know, several times on a monthly basis to help them work through some of those situations. So you guys have your own in-house therapist. We don't have our, we, well, we have, um, we have social workers on staff as that are our caseworkers. We have an LPC on staff, but we outsource for the actual therapy services that the children receive. I see. I see. Cause therapy is mm-hmm. a big part of this. If you're ever going right. to work your way through it. I mean, these kids need somebody to, to help them. Not, I mean, how many adults do you know that you think, Hey, you, you need to talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I mean, I ain't going to name no names, but I know some folks. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, Your mom listens. Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, actually we, we've had this conversation. We had, um, somebody, a friend of the family, I guess we'll, we'll just, we'll just call it that who got upset one day when, you know, she asked me, she said, well, do you think I need to talk to somebody? And I know, I know a big piece of her story and her childhood had some real heavy trauma in it. And I said, well, yeah, yeah. I think you should see somebody. And she looks at me almost offended that she says, what do you think I'm crazy? I said, girl, you know, me, you know, Amanda, <laughs> we got a guy, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I go see, so I, uh, if, if, if I'm saying you're crazy and she's maybe not just as crazy as I am, it's all, there ain't nothing right. wrong with it, but there's that stigma behind it, especially in certain communities where that can be really, you know, whether it's ethnic or national communities. Um, I have a friend of mine who has a, um, uh, his wife is, uh, of an Asian descent. I'm not certain exactly what off the top of my head, but I know that where she comes from, he's mentioned it. Like they, she refuses to go see a therapist. Because uh-huh. it's looked down on so much in her community where right. she where she comes from, and that's been a real challenge. Have you had any issues with that from bio parents if kids have started to see therapists where they buck against that? Hey there, Foster Care Nation! If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook, and you can find us at facebook.com/groups/fostercareuj. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Um, we've had, I've had it more or less with, because in terms of the children that we have in care, they are required to do it as part of the program or as part of them being in defects care. So the parents don't have that much say so in it, but some of the, uh, the teenage children I've had as foster children, when they get a certain age where they can make some of their own decisions, they may not have always, um, they may, they may have been reluctant or just refused altogether to get some of the mental health services that they needed. And, you know, as a result, they're still dealing with some of those challenges Whereas had they continued through the whole process, maybe they would be able to better deal with some of the things that they're going through to this day. 
And, you know, not saying that the mental health is a end all be all or whatever the phrase is, but it could have provided them with the skills they need to better handle some of the situations that they're going through now. Absolutely. I think that's one of the, one of the misconceptions about mental health care is that you're not going to see somebody who's going to heal you. They're not going to cure mm-hmm. you. You know, if you have depression, they're not going to like wave a magic wand and suddenly you never have to deal with it again, but they do help you see things and build tools and skill sets to be able to move forward in your life without the same, the same emotional anchors holding you down that you otherwise would have had to deal with. So I feel like the mental health side of it's really important for, for most of these kids. You know, we've, do we have any kids who've, who haven't been no, I think we, uh, at, at some point we typically end up utilizing that, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be play therapy or just going and seeing somebody. Yeah. So yeah, far we've, we've used different aspects. Yeah. So far, I think, um, little Frankie might be the only one who hasn't, that's just the age. Yeah. And, but and you know, we, he's, he's going to need some help. He, he yeah. went through some trauma as a kid. He's five years old right. and, and we were actually, we were just talking about it recently about finding ways to help him. Um, through, as he starts to do the kindergarten thing and trying to do virtual, do online schooling with a kid who's, I mean, you've seen hyperactive kids, right? Right, right. They're lazy compared to this boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you don't think that, you know, you think it's other ways um, of handling it, but sometimes you still have to get that evaluation to get more clarity for your own self to see that maybe this is what we do need. Yeah. And whether it's just a therapy or whether it's a combination of medication or, you know, the two together. And sometimes but, um, it's a matter of the, that therapist giving you the tools to deal with what they're dealing with as well. Right. Right. Cause I know one of my children for years, I was in denial, you know, one of my foster children I adopted, I was in denial. We're going to, we're going to get through this. Um, he can use his own skills. We just got to, you know, work together. And, you know, so, so for years and the teachers are telling me, and I'm like, I, I should know this. I'm, this is what I do. <laughs> but for years I was in denial with, you know, my own child. But then when I did get the services and the medication, I was like, I should have ended this. <laughs> I should have did this a long time ago. But, um, you know, so, you know, even if you do know, you know, everything that's out there, sometimes you're in denial yourself, but um, I'm glad we did. And now he's able to work through some things um, easier and, so you, you know, give, go through the process. If you could talk to those, to those parents, you know, the, the 10 year ago version of Janine, who, who thought that <laughs> love was just enough, right? I, I, right, I, love, right. I love them enough and it'll be okay. I've heard that. I've been told that. And Mm -hmm. what would you say to that, to that parent who thinks that, Hey, I'm just going to love them and we're going to work our way through it without any extra help. I would say, um, you know, one thing you could do is privately go through um, an evaluation process. You don't have to go through the schools because a lot of times you're worried about the labels that you're going to get once you put them in a school system and they take you that, that label follows them through the rest of their lives. But I would suggest, you know, go go privately, take your child privately. It's a one-on-one situation where they're giving you the information. Once you get the information, then you can decide what's best for you and your family. If they provide you with medication, try it. You know, try it. See what happens. See if it makes a difference. You can always not, you know, decide that's not that's not what you want to do and try something more herbal or, you know, but I, I think you should always try it just to see. You know, if it makes a difference, because at the end of the day, 
if it does work, it's helping the child. It's helping you too for your own sanity, <laughs> but it's Amen. it's helping the child. <laughs> it's helping the child because if they can't concentrate, they're always getting in trouble. They're getting frustrated. They are, you know, they can't even control what's going on in their own brains to even know what, what they're doing wrong. So it's it's a um, win-win for everybody. Except but, for my yeah. ego, right? <laughs> right, right. But I think it calms them down and it allows the child to say, okay, I'm not the worst kid in the class. So I'm not the problem child. Um, it has been explained to me that I just need to my brain to slow down. And a lot of times that's, you know, what it may be, or if that, if it's ADHD, if it's something else, I, you know, I'm not the problem child. I just, it just, things has happened in my life that was not my fault. So, you know, it just depends on what it is, but I think it can help. You know, as you're talking about that, I think about one of our little ones who, you know, he's been through his fair share of trauma and the number of times that I have seen him try at something and not succeed the first time. And his first reaction is, I'm stupid. I'm so stupid. I'm, and and that's that internal voice where he's he's internalizing, just like you're talking about there. And mm-hmm. I I do honestly believe if we could slow his brain to a manageable pace, he could he he would be really successful in a lot of things he's trying to do, but he's just not capable of that yet at this point. You know, he's right. he's in the development cycle he's in, and and we're we're looking at getting him some help and working through that, but. Those are the things that kids tell themselves. Right. And I remind my own child that, you know, we're not going to let this medication control you. You're going to learn how to control your own behavior. This is just the help, the assistance that you need to, to until you can get to that point because you're still learning. You're learning how to, you know, make your brain slow down. You're learning how to, you know, learning these different skills and tools. So eventually you can wean yourself off and have your own control. And, you know, whether that happens or not, we, you know, we still have that hope. Now, did you struggle when you first started with this feeling like if you needed that kind of help from someone else that you were a failure as a parent? Um, yes, because in my case, I had the children since birth and I'm and I was saying to myself, you know, what did I do wrong? You know, then I raised these children the same way I raised, you know, my other children. And so you you look at yourself like, what happened here? You know, where, where where did something go wrong? And then of course you you know you have people that remind you you know, you know their DNA is different, their situation is different. You know, they are granted that you had them since birth. You know, their my biological mom was a part of their life, and now she's not. So you know, so they said it's different. You know, they reminded me it's different things in a mix here. It's not just your DNA, and and then all and on top of that. Some of our own kids go astray and then we're like, what happened here? But, um, you know, so, you know, so I did look at myself and I said, what was, what did I do wrong? I did have that, um, issue going on that I had to deal with. And then I just had to realize all children are different. What was the biggest thing that made you realize that? Um, I guess that, you know, all children are different. Um, Basically, all children are different. Um, you know, maybe they, we were all raised together, but everybody has their own personalities. And they and some of it is could be DNA. You know, some of it could be different DNA, but um, that just all children differently. They react to things differently. They have different um, experiences of how they see life. 
And so I just had to say, well, okay, this is this child. When it's not the same as this other child that I raised five years ago to this point. But, you know, you just have to realize everybody's different and everybody has to deal with their things differently, their issues, their, their things that they go through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I got to ask one question because I'm, I'm, I'm in a group with a lot of dads from across the, the country and across the world, honestly. And I know some guys from Georgia. You don't sound like you're from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm from New York. I'm originally from New York. I've been in Georgia for over 20 years, but I'm from New York. I thought I heard <laughs> some Northeast in there. I was, I was trying to figure that out. What brought mm-hmm. you to Georgia from New York? Well, I went to school at Tuskegee and uh, we kind of hung out in Atlanta and I enjoyed the weather and and just enjoyed the whole Atlanta experience. And I said, this is where I want to, you know, raise my children, have my family. And so got married and moved to Georgia. <laughs> Are you still in the Atlanta area? Um, yes. Yes. You well, you know, outskirts in the suburbs, but yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to say your experience of Atlanta and mine must be different. But then again, my experience of Atlanta is only the traffic. <laughs> well, yeah, but I love it. And and where I, I would, I basically work not what 15, 20 minutes away from, from the job. So I don't have to go on the highway to get to the office and I don't have to beat the traffic, fight the traffic. I don't have to wake up extra early to get anywhere. So I see. I see. <laughs> More convenient. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a couple experiences with Atlanta. And the last one I drove to Atlanta while it was snowing. So y'all are crazy. <laughs> so I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, we love our folks yes. in the South, but y'all ain't got any clue about snow. Look, look they don't have any clue. Someone's gonna get me now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was a whole different experience. I I just wanted because you did not sound I didn't hear Georgia in your voice anyways. So I thought, (laughs) you know, there had to be a secret in there somewhere. Right, right. So are you married? (laughs) Not anymore. I'm divorced. So I'm now single and just raising these children. Wow, that's a you got a lot (laughs) on your plate for a single mom. Yeah, yeah. We make it work. And we use our network. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I hear a lot. I hear a lot of people talk about single moms and how rough they have it. And I just look at somebody like you, who's who's not like making it as a single mom, right? Like you, you're you're kicking the snot out of something over here. You're you're making <laughs> things happen. You're doing things. You got some stuff together. What what kind of helped you get into that position where you're you're running your own nonprofit? You're helping out kids. You were running a, a group home. You're you're running a foster care agency. All as a single mom. Like where did you get that and in in your put into you from? I mean, somebody had to have put that in your soul. Well, determination, that New York hustle mentality. Um, <laughs> my family, my um, my sister. She has you know we have a family business at home, so it's kind of. Again, ingrained, this is all I know. My my lesson used to be, what are you watching TV for? It's nothing, you, you know, you're not going to learn anything from TV. Let's start it. Let's do some business, you know. So, you know, TVs was always a waste of time. It was like, let's figure out how we're going to make some business happen. So, um, and it's just, I guess, that New York hustle mentality and determination. I, or I, I teach my children, you know, you want to be able to um, choose your life and not let your life choose you. So, you know, I go by that. I live that, live that way. So in order to keep making, being able to make my own choices, I got to keep it going. 
That's incredible. That's incredible because most of us are just, just trying to make it through the week with what we got on our plate. And, you know, you, you guys are out there like inviting extra kids with trauma into your world and then turning mm-hmm. that around. And, and that's, that's a big thing for most people to, to wrap their mind around. And we're so busy trying to figure out how to get through the day. Sometimes <laughs> I ain't even thinking about adding extra to my plate most days. Well, yeah. I, I am thinking about it, how to do that, but, <laughs> but then I laugh and I go, yeah, when are you going to do that? Right. <laughs> you ain't got time for that. Yeah. And so what you what you're doing that that's amazing out there. You know, you, you've got these kids and you've dealt with all these different mental health issues. Um, have you dealt with any of the, the bigger mental health stuff there with, through your, your, um, either the boys home or, or the foster care agency, things like red, um, and then the, or ODD and the, and the kind of the, the more difficult struggles. Um, I have, I have. And I think, um, though the one that hit home is the, is the one that, the one I raised <laughs> that, in, that in my house was one of my foster children. Um, she was a handful and we had a lot of, um, physical <laughs> altercations and, you know, suicidal thoughts, suicidal acting out. Um, so a lot of the more difficult behaviors we had to deal with and you find out, you know, a lot of it is just the attention seeking is not, I would really want to hurt myself or kill myself is just, you know, what can I do to get the attention that I'm seeking and and it's just a cry, a cry for help. It's just a cry for help. Um, and, you know, as much as you want to, you know, you give the children everything you can give them, but they just, you know, sometimes they just want more or they don't know how to say what I really want is to have the, the life that, quote unquote, everyone else has with their parents. And that's something that I may or may not ever get. So as a result, some of the, those acting out behaviors and self-harming behaviors come into play or the depression or they, you know, and again, they start thinking about their own lives and how they got into this situation. And then they're like, well, you know, what about me? We, why why am I here? Why is this my situation? And then you see a lot of that, those additional behaviors come through, um, you know, defiance. And like I said, the suicidal thoughts and suicidal act, actually acting out and then running away sometimes. Where are you running to? you know, where is there to go? <laughs> so we've, we've had some of those experiences and, and then, you know, you have them throughout the agency, you know, in different forms, you have a lot of that, but we get them the assistance that they need. We have people that can come by and talk to them. We have the mobile crisis unit that can come by, you know, on an emergency basis. Um, our staff are all experienced so, you know, we make sure we are putting those our staff in place as, you know, prior to them getting the, the additional therapy they need. And we just try to wrap, you know, wrap their services around them and let them know that we're here, you know, and we're here as long as we can be. But you have to be willing to accept the help. When you really first got going in this as a foster parent, what were some of the resources you found to help you help these kids through those tough spots? Um. A lot of the counseling that that definitely the counseling, um, some of the girls groups or the mentoring groups that were available, um, putting them in, just keeping them in activities and clubs, um, whether it was a school club or just a community girls group, um, again, with the boys, the sports, 
um, just keeping them involved. So they had a peer group that they can talk to. If it was parenting, if the children were teen moms, putting them into the parenting group, parenting classes. So they had like-minded individuals that, you know, were in the same situation in one form or another that they may have been in. When we um, have our agency, um, well, prior to COVID, um, we, when we have our agency staff meetings, we have all the children come to the, um, to the facility too. So sometimes these may be the only friends that our children have, children that are in other foster care homes and situations. So that again, gives them the peer groups that they need so they can talk through things. That sounds great. I have a, I have a couple of questions. I like to try and ask people a lot of times, if you had a magic wand, this uses wave and change one thing in a foster care system. What would you change first? In the foster care system. Um, oh boy. What would I change in the foster care system? <laughs> Look at so many things that you would want to change. Um, I don't even know. It could be some. Sometimes I say it might be the mindset of some of the higher up officials, um, and some of the decisions that they make. You know, regarding the children. That are you sure that this is the best um, decision that you can make for these children? Um, maybe with some of the higher up officials and maybe we, whether that's just d- judges or directors or, you know, you know, come down to where these children are to see, you know, what they're experiencing, where they are, where, you know, where they may be going or getting into, as opposed to just, you know, sending them off. Um, some, I think some of the decisions that um, have been made have not always been the best decisions for the children. And we've seen it as the children have returned into care. Um, you may, you only ask for one, but another one might be letting more parents um, feel that um, it's enough to do this for just a passion and a love of it alone, not just the, you know, financial reimbursement that you can get. Because, you know, you say, well, would I do this if it was, you know, if I didn't get anything for it? Let them really feel that in their soul, in their heart, that, you know, if you could do this for free, would you do this for free? And if so, then put put all of it, all of you into it, all of your heart, your soul into these children. And, you know, they're there. The, and remember that it's trauma that they have done, have to go through. It's not that they're just bad children or they're mean today or they're bad today. This is what their life has been for them. This is not just I'm cursing you out today because I'm mad is because this may be all I know. You know, I may have never had a kind word. So just changing some of the hearts of, I guess from the higher up all the way down to the to the foster parents, letting them know that it's more than just, you know, bad children that you're dealing with and that you have to look to look look at what you make what look at decisions that you're making. Yeah, I haven't met too many bad kids, but I've met a lot of kids put in <laughs> bad places by bad adults. Right. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. The next question I had for you is, what's something you wish that people knew about your journey that you think they they just assume make assumptions and they're just flat wrong in their assumptions? 
Um, you know, I've been said, you know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, you're a superwoman, you're a superwoman. No, <laughs> not in the least. <laughs> you know, it's, it is difficult sometimes. And, and you're, you know, the children have a lot of challenges, but you're just working through with it, through it. And you just have to stay upbeat and you can't think the opposite. You can't go towards the negative. You always have to be positive because you know, if you start thinking too deep and too hard about all the problems, the struggles, struggles, and the stress and the challenges, <laughs> I might need, need some mental health counseling myself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you can't go there. You have to stay. Um, I know I have a friend that says, oh, you always got to say the glass is half full. Uh, yes, because what else should I think? You know, the glass has to always be half full because otherwise I might fall into a stressful depression, <laughs> you know, so you just have to stay upbeat. And, and yes, it is it's a struggle sometimes, it's a challenge, but this is what I enjoy doing. And so I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and be happy about it. This is the choice I've made. Excellent. Excellent. We talked a few minutes ago about, about the support you have around you. When you look, when you look back across your entire journey, what kind of things really looked like support for you in the moments you needed it most? I think the biggest support has just been the encouragement um, that you get from your friends and family. It's not always them stepping in to help because, you know, sometimes you can just hire a babysitter or hire someone to help. It's more or less the um, encouragement and the just the support and just letting people know, okay, you got this. It'll be all right. You doing this, you know, the, the more the, the encouragement and that in some, and sometimes the praise, you know, you are doing a good job. You are helping these children. So I think it's just that, that verbal and that, you know, supportive shoulder to talk to and lean on and encourage. encourage yeah, It's always nice when somebody validates the fact that you're doing something that's not wrong. Because if right. you have teenagers, you've been told you're doing it wrong and you're stupid. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you're doing. You don't. Old. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Old, too. But that, mm-hmm. that was kind of just a given. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, man, every every room, every time we interview anybody, I, I start to look. I go, man, I think I got more gray hair than anybody else in the <laughs> Sneaking out. I'm still hiding a little bit. I ain't, I ain't dyed it yet. But you know, <laughs> start to give me those, those little wisdom markers. That's what I think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, we, we appreciate you sharing your story on here today. And I know you, you, Georgia hope is your website is G a hope.org, right? Um, it's www.georgiahopeinc.org. Um, so it's the full spell out the word, Georgia, okay. Georgia hope okay. All right. Well, Georgia hope, let me write that down because I think I had clicked on the wrong website mm-hmm. there. And uh, I want to make sure that we link that up. In the it may have up. taken you to it, but it's the, you spell the word Georgia. So georgiahopeinc.org. I see. Now I want to make sure that we can, um, we can link that up in the show notes, especially for any of our listeners in the South who happen to live in Georgia, who maybe are looking for a place to do some, some good in the world and, and bring their talents and their skills and, or maybe gain some talents and skills. Cause God knows when we started this, I don't think we, we knew enough. <laughs> but did any of us? Oh, no, I'm pretty talented. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I'm the one who's stupid this week. 
we 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 just had a, a whole blow up interchange with one of our teens the other day and so yeah it's kind of little just a little inside baseball there yeah apparently this week i'm the one who's stupid so it's all good yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody wants to gain some some an opportunity to talk to you and look at, at working with you guys, GeorgiaHopeInc.org is how they could get to you. Um, do you have any other any other social media or anything like that that you um, like to you put can reach there? out to us on Facebook, Georgia Hope Inc. Um, at, on Facebook, um, those are the two main um, areas that we can connect through socially. Okay, the website and the Facebook page. Yeah, and we're located um, in Conyers, Georgia. If you Google us, we'll, we'll pop up. <laughs> you'll pop right up, huh? Well, mm-hmm. um, I appreciate you bringing, bringing your passion in here today and sharing this with people around the country and around, well, technically the world. It's just another little piece mm-hmm. of inside baseball. I was looking at, at uh, the analytics that the podcast host gives us, and I didn't know we had people listening in Morocco. Wow. Or <laughs> Russia. <laughs> nice. kind of neat to see. Yeah, kind of neat. That, that's, it's bouncing all over the world. And so hopefully it inspires somebody somewhere, even if it's not in Georgia. Maybe it's in Moscow. I don't know. I don't really care. As long as somebody can take something from this, that's what we're really looking to do here today. So we appreciate you taking your time and and giving that to us and allowing us to share your message across the, the planet, really. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you <laughs> for taking the time. Okay, Foster Care Nation, thank you for listening to Janine's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and your community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you would like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people at Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes or on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.